Welcome back to another episode of Red Pill Cartel. I am your host, Davey Wavy. Thank you guys so much for tuning in all the time. Uh, you are the cartel, you know. You guys are the ones that have to dish out the red pills. I'm just the middleman here, right? So, <clears throat> you guys hand out the red pills, you know, share it. Share my show with other people. Get the name out. Get the word out. Um... But this one, this episode is a banger. I'm, I, I'm, I'm sold. Uh, it, I'm, my mind is blown. Uh, we had an amazing discussion with, um, or I had an amazing discussion with uh, Esoteric Eddie, Eduardo Cano. I don't know if it's Cano or Cano. Um, I apologize, Eduardo, Eddie. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, we, we, he has a book called. Uh, the Lucifer Mystery Revealed. So, uh, I highly implore you to read that. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, all the links are in the show notes. You can go on his YouTube and uh, find out more information, what Eddie's been up to. And um, yeah, guys, like we just dive into head first and the Bible and how it relates to the Sumerians and how all the old gods are like amalgamated into one into Yahweh or Yahuwah or whatever you want to call them, you know. Um, hopefully the true name will be revealed someday. But, uh, yeah, we just went on, on a lot of tangents about, like, Atlantis and the Emerald Tablets. And, oh, guys, buckle up. Come on, man. You know what to do by now, right? Smoke a dupe, drink a beer. Crack that beer open, guzzle it. Fucking get another one in you and uh, sit back and enjoy the show. Thank you. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Red Red Pill Cartel. I have uh, Eddie here, uh, Esoteric Eddie, uh, who wrote uh, a book called Lucifer, The Name Revealed. Eddie, how you doing, bro? Hey, doing pretty good. Thank you for having me. Um, the book is actually called Lucifer, Mystery Revealed. Mystery Revealed. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Um, actually the second, second uh, podcast host to get it wrong, so don't worry about it. <laughs> cool that's cool that's cool um now is your is your book uh published or is it available for purchase yeah so uh, anybody can get it on amazon uh hardcover paperback uh kindle or they can hit me up directly on instagram uh via esoteric eddie if they don't want to support amazon and get it directly to uh through me sounds good man so Okay, so let me start off by asking you, which I ask a lot of my guests, um, when did you first like start waking up to uh, like spiritually? When did you have like a spiritual awakening if you had one or um, what made you decide to uh, go down this path? <clears throat> so pretty much my whole life has revolved around esoteric stuff. Um, but uh, more specifically, it was right around sixth and seventh grade for me, which was like 2006. Around then, um, I was listening to a lot of conscious hip hop. And then I got into, you know, smoking some of that cannabis at a young age and <laughs> <laughs> had my first shroom trip at about uh, 13, 14. So it was like about from like 12 years old to 14 years old. That's actually kind of actually kind of similar to me i i had my first acid trip when i was like uh 
14 years old. Yeah, man, it's crazy. Like for us, it, it was like a normal thing, right? But like, man, I see like 13, 14 year olds today. I'm like, dude, there's no way I can imagine this kid doing mushrooms, you know? Right. Yeah. But, like uh, I, yeah, right I tell I tell these kids like, oh, I had my first uh, acid trip when I was 14. They're like, what? And I'm like, I didn't even try marijuana before that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like a, a couple times getting drunk to an acid trip, right? And it was just like, you know, open the doors of perception for me. That was one of the ways I started waking up, you know, at a pretty young age. So, yeah, keep going. Sorry to cut you off. No, no, it's all good. Yeah, no, definitely similar story. Um, yeah, around that time, thir- you know, 12 to 14, just um, started really digging it deep into all the basics like Illuminati, the Freemasons, Knights Templars, that whole thing. Um, just catching that early wave of like YouTube documentaries, got into Alex Jones, uh, David Icke and all that kind of stuff. So um, that whole era of my life was uh, was a paradigm shift for sure. So from that point to now, we're at, I'm 27 now, so over a decade of just just surfing through all kinds of books, articles, documentaries, having um, conversations with people that have experience with esoteric and occult stuff. And isn't it isn't it amazing to like find like minded people that are interested in the same thing you are? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's yeah, it's cool. Man. That time, like it was hard to find anybody that even heard of this stuff. But like now, it's like there's TV shows about it and stuff, so it's cool. Right. Uh, did you grow up in like a religious household or no? I did. I did. I grew up in a, a primarily Catholic and Christian home. My dad's side was Catholic. My mom's side is uh, Christian. So I know that world really well. But even then, when I, when I was young, I was questioning that stuff. And that stuff played a huge part in what would become my um, awakening because I knew there was something deeper to the Bible and all that spiritual stuff. Sure. Uh, apart from what you see with the naked eye when you're reading the Bible, it's like it, it it's just so deep. Like it's almost like you can look at you can open the book and any sentence in that book has so many other different meanings than what it just says straight out, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. And that's pretty much the, my entire book is it, it revolves around the single verse that the world was introduced to. Um, with that mentions Lucifer, you know, I mean, there's just that simple verse that mentions Lucifer in the Bible and there's so much to unpack there. And that's, and that's uh, what culminated in my book really. Uh, now, a lot of people um, say that the Freemasons are like based around Lucifer, like Lucifer is like the supposed quote unquote God uh, that they worship. Um, but I, I do know I have a Freemason that comes on my show regularly <clears throat> and he's, he basically says that, no, we were able to just go in there and become a Freemason with, uh, our own perception of a higher power. It's not necessarily like the devil or Lucifer or what have you, but, um, do you like, <laughs> here's a, probably a loaded question, but yeah. is, is Lucifer the devil? No, to put it simply, no. Uh, I didn't. Yeah, no. But uh, when when I started to research this stuff, I found early on that even even in the quasi Christian world and the and in the occult, it's pretty well understood that Satan and Lucifer are two separate entities. Um, if you even subscribe to them being real, but uh, to put it simple, um, no, I, I don't. Lucifer is not Satan. Uh, 
more significantly, he's titled as the light bearer or bringer. Yeah, I mean, we can we can uh, get into this now. I guess it's a good time to get into it. But uh, in my book, uh, the Lucifer Mystery Revealed, um, I don't really <clears throat> beat around the bush. I mean, I tell you who I believe Lucifer is in the third chapter out of six chapters. So it's not really like it, it, that. I mean, that's like kind of like the enticing thing of the book, but it's not the major motif of the book. The real thing that I'm trying to do with the book is show you how we've misunderstood the whole concept of Lucifer, both in the church and in the occult. And we've really just been like fueling this fantasy um, of an archetype. So um, let me get into what I mean by that. Sure. Don't mind. All right. So um, before I wrote the book, I knew who Lucifer was. And a lot of people in the true community, I'm sure, can already guess who he is. But I wanted to dig into it and, and find the evidence for it to back it up. Now, first and foremost, I ask myself, where do we even get the idea of Lucifer? And of course, it comes from the single verse in the English version of the Bible, which is uh, Isaiah 14, 12, which is the famous um, Lucifer verse. You know, oh, Lucifer, how art thou fallen, um, you know, son of the morning, so on and so forth. Right. That is the famous Lucifer verse that the world, that the world um, was introduced to Lucifer by. Now, um, the Bible, of course, consists of two books, the Old Testament and the, the New Testament. Technically, the Testament, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, so the Old Testament is, is, uh, belongs to Judaism, and the New Testament belongs to Christianity. And over time, they've merged as two different things, and that's a whole other topic. But the Old Testament is where we get the Isaiah verse of Lucifer. Now, of course, the original Old Testament um, was written in Hebrew. Now, from the Hebrew, it was translated into Greek, um, into uh, what is known as a Septuagint. Yep. And then after that, it was translated into the Latin Vulgate. And then after Latin, it was translated into the King James Version. There were a lot of other little uh, versions throughout that whole process, but they didn't make it as the authorized versions. Not to, but, not to go off on a tangent or anything, but yeah. how much has been... Um, manipulated uh from the hebrew to the king james i'd say i'd say a lot now I, I wouldn't say manipulated i mean i'm sure there's a lot of that going on and there is and a lot of researchers have pointed that out but i my book and what my train of thinking is is more that it's less manipulation and more just straight up misunderstanding and mistranslation okay yep uh, it's just human failure you know human error but um sure yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of go, kind of glance at that a little bit in the book. Like, there's a lot of that was been lost in translation, and it might have been deliberately, it might not. But uh, we, we can get into a little bit of that later. But um, yeah, so it goes from the Hebrew to to the Greek to the Latin to the English. Now, um, in the, the Lucifer verse that we know, in, in for example, the King James version, um, it uses Lucifer as Lucifer is only used once in the entire King James version, and this is in the Isaiah verse. Now, and is, we, uh, is is Lucifer only used that one time? Is it used in the New Testament at all or no? No, it, okay. it's only used that one time in the King James Version. In the English okay, version. okay, cool. Keep going. Now, in, in the, um, now, if we go backwards in time, now if we go from the English to, to the Latin, now in the Latin version, the Latin Vulgate, which was what the, the Roman you know, government and church primarily used, you could find Lucifer, uh, to my understanding, I think two or three times throughout the entire Bible. 
And but every time it was used, it was used as a lowercase word, even in the Isaiah verse, the famous Isaiah verse. And um, and Lucifer was a Latin word um, comprising of two words, luce and fere. Luce meaning light, fere meaning um, to bring or to hold. So Lucifer or Lucifer would would be like the Latin equivalent of, yes, the light bearer. But it was also used in other places in the Bible. Actually, it was even used um, to reference Jesus in the Red Book of Revelations. And that's why there's this whole um, occult uh, conspiracy spinoff that, you know, Jesus, that Jesus is, is, yeah, that Jesus is Lucifer, Lucifer, or he is the devil himself. Yeah, that whole thing. Now, I don't get into that in the book. Um, that's a whole huge thing to unpack as well. But um, following this, so yeah, Lucifer was used in the Latin Vulgate uh, lower as a lowercase adjective multiple times throughout the, the Bible to denote something of bright, you know, something that's bright. Now, they did that for a reason because they translated uh, the Greek Bible and in the, where, you, where we would see Lucifer in the Greek Bible, instead of seeing Lucifer, we would see phosphorus or phosphoros. Um, phosphoros means the same thing that Lucifer in Latin means, something bright, something shiny. But um, more specifically, both of those words, Lucifer and phosphoros, actually are uh, a metaphor or a, a word to, that, to mean Venus as well. Because, and we'll get into that in a second, but it also, they also can mean Venus. Now, going all the way back to the original Hebrew, where we would see Lucifer or Phosphoros in the Hebrew, the original source for the whole thing, we would see Halel ben Shahar. Now, Halel ben Shahar, that means Halel, um, son of Shahar. And that got translated into Lucifer, son of the morning. Um, so Halel was actually an ancient Canaanite deity. Um, wow. who was uh, also known as Athtar, uh, the son of Shahar, which was another Canaanite deity. And Shahar is also meant dawn. And, you know, dawn is, you know, is, the, is before the sun rising. Did, so, you say, did you say Athtar? Yes. Okay, not Ashtar, like one of the ascended masters, supposedly? No, no. Okay. <laughs> So the Ashtar command, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah oh, so that's a whole other fucking topic. But yeah, go yeah, on. No, so it's Halel ben Shahar. Now, Halel ben Shahar, son of Don or Shahar. Now, uh, there's a thing called the Athtar myths or the ball cycle text. There are a lot of uh, Canaanite texts that we uncovered in, um, over there in that area that speak about these deities. Because in ancient times, prior to Judaism and its monotheistic you know, philosophies, the ancients, they worshipped a pantheon of gods. And sure. Ahtar, or Halel, was just one of those, along with Shahar. <clears throat> um, Isaiah, Isaiah was, was the, uh, he was a prophet, a very high prophet who worked alongside the kings of Israel. And um, when, when, the Babylon, when they were under Babylonian captivity, when they were slaves to the Babylonians, um, Isaiah, he wrote this, you know, this poetic prophecy talking down about one of the, the Babylonian kings. So Isaiah 14, 12 is actually him poetically talking down to one of the Babylonian kings saying that you will be like Halel ben Shahar. You will be like 
Astar, you know, you will be like Venus because Venus in ancient times was seen as the light bringer because Venus, as we now know, astronomically, celestially, is the planet that is seen before the sun rise. So in ancient times, it had its own celestial mythology, um, which could be used as a metaphor or an allegory for something or someone that, that, yeah, it might be bright, it might be shiny, it might be powerful, but it will always be overcasted by the sun. Right. So we get all this, this, we get this Hillel ben Shahar, which is Isaiah referencing an old Canaanite myth of this god, Hillel, who's also known as Athtar, from who was known. There's a, there's a text called the Baal Cycle Text. And in that text, there's a little story where Baal or Baal, um, who was one of the low, low below El, he um, stepped down from his throne and um, all the gods, all the other deities were kind of like questioning, well, who should rule, who should rule in his stead? And Athtar stepped up to the duty or stepped up to the responsibility, but then was later um, demoted by the gods and was like, ah, never mind, we don't really want you to rule. You know, so um, Baal just kept ruling. So that was Athtar's little story. And so Isaiah was kind of like wrapping everything up into this like metaphor and allegory saying that you will just be nothing like, you'll be nothing more than Athtar. You'll be nothing more than like Venus. You know, you think you're great, but you will fall and the sun will overshadow you, which is God. So that little mythology gets translated to Phosphoros, which was a correct translation in Greek, because Phosphoros, as we know, means light. It also means Venus. And then in the Latin, it was a correct translation, meaning uh, Lucifer, which does mean something bright and also can refer to Venus. And then the mistranslation happens from Latin to English, where we get the uppercase Lucifer, and now he becomes a person, and we've lost the um, original origins of this whole Canaanite myth. Holy crap, dude. That's like, it's almost like it's like, oh, really? That's it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trust me. I Don't felt the same wrong. way. It's very interesting, but like, when you look at it and you dig deeper, it's just like, oh, shit, it was just this guy, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, trust me, I, I felt the same way. I mean, when I first got into conspiracy stuff and uh, esoteric and occult stuff, like, man, I thought reptilians were everywhere, and I thought, you know, all this crazy stuff, but, like, as I matured in my studies, it all kind of got a little more uh, a little more practical, and, and, and I kind of got a little upset, too, like, oh, man, so that's all it was. But the reason I named the book The Lucifer Mystery Revealed is because although the history, the terminological history behind the name Lucifer is that bland. There actually is something to be said about the concept of Lucifer. And there actually is, and or there actually was a real Lucifer in our ancient past, not known as that name, but he has all the qualifications for the real Lucifer. So, and, and I unveil who I think that is in chapter three. Now, because Lucifer in the church no, when I say the church, I mean Christian, Catholicism, all of that. With Lucifer within the church is always referred to by the, uh, is referred to, um, referred back to the Isaiah verse, right? So whenever the church talks about Lucifer, they're talking about the Isaiah a concept of Lucifer. But whenever the occult talks about Lucifer, as I, as I go to, into my book, they're referring to the Garden of Eden story with the serpent. So I think the occult, their idea of Lucifer is more on point with who he actually might have been in our past. So if we unravel with the, the great occultists, 
of uh, you know the 18th and or the 19th and 20th century, like Eliphas Levi, the uh, Crowley, you know, all the classical cultists. Whenever they reference yep. Lucifer, they always reference the Garden of Eden and the serpent. And the serpent, so, which exactly, most people yeah. refer to as the devil or Satan. Yeah, exactly, and that's a whole thing in itself. In the book, I, I kind of don't, I don't go too deep into Satan because, um, again, they're two different, two totally different creatures or, or beings conceptually because of what I just unpacked with Lucifer being a terminological misunderstanding, and Satan also is too. And I mentioned that in the book. Satan used to be a lowercase word too. It used to be an adjective as well in ancient Judaic culture, and then over time it became an uppercase. So it would. But um, um, yeah, to uh, me, so to me, the, from what I understand, that <clears throat> I don't look at uh, Satan or the devil, whatever you want to call it, as like an actual entity. I don't know if you disagree or not, but I just look at him as like the uh, the oppressive spirit against humanity, the one that wants to control humanity. Yeah, and that was actually the original Judaic idea of it. Um, he was like by the apostles, he was known as the father of the lies. But um, when you unpack what they're really saying, they actually that's kind of what they were saying. They're saying that Satan could be anybody. But yeah. in, the con in the contextual um, in the context of the, of the uh, Old Testament, Satan was actually just was actually just like an emissary of God. He was a lot of people like to say he was kind of like a, a lawyer kind of type figure for God. He would come down here and test. That's actually what the original idea of Satan was. He was kind of a tester of mankind for God. Well, that goes back. That goes back to the the Book of Job too, right? Where God exactly. gives him permission to go down and you know fuck him up, give him boils and blisters and all that shit, right? Yeah. yeah. So the, the <laughs> Satan originally wasn't like this all encompassing evil ruler. He was he was in in uh, you know cahoots with God. You know he was in cooperation with God. But now, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think he's a real figure. I grew up thinking that for sure, but uh, I had to, you know, break that paradigm over with all my studies, and, and I went through that as, as a younger person. But, um, yeah, now I kind of side with you on that. He, he's just a, a, an archetype or an expression of all of, of our personal evil. Yeah, because uh, I think I, I, I believe it's the New Testament that calls him, like, uh, or Satan, they call him, like, the power and the prince of the air, right? And so that mean, to me, that means it's like, it's, it's within everybody, you know, you, you, you have the power to oppress people or you have the, the power to love people, right? It's just like an opposite spirit of, of the love of uh, Christ, right? And Christ being the anointed one, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a whole nother thing for sure. And that's when like to start getting into like Gnosticism and all that, but we can get into that. I uh, just wanted to go back to what we were just saying. Before sure. I lose it. What was the question? What was it? Uh... Oh shit. <laughs> oh, no, I, got I got it. Okay. So yeah, no, we were kind of just saying how, yeah, that's kind of like, wow, that's it with Lucifer. Like it's just this whole misunderstanding going back to yeah. this like lower deity by the name of Athtar, you know, but when we when we unpack the occult's idea of Lucifer, that's where the mystery starts to really get interesting, because the occult they're always referencing the Garden of Eden and the serpent, and they say that the serpent was good because he was giving us knowledge, and that they point out that God actually lied to Adam and Eve because he says if you eat of the tree of fruit and uh, if you eat of the fruit from the tree of, of knowledge, you should die. You will surely will die. 
But of course, they eat of it and they don't die. So the serpent is saying, look, God is lying to you. He wants to keep you kept captive here as just these little experiments. But I want to open up your mind to the truth. So eat of it. So that that story, the occult was in love with. And they use that as evidence that God is really this vindictive, deceptive deity, whereas the serpent or, or Lucifer, as they call him, um, is actually a benevolent deity who's trying to save us from this prison that we live in. Um, so when we unpack that, that's where it gets interesting. Now, moving on from before we move on to that, do you have any uh, questions or comments? Um, so, yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, who initially took the uh, concept of uh, Lucifer and adopt adopted him as the uh, the serpent? I mean, like, did they know about Athar and did they know about uh, Shah, uh, was it Shahar? Yeah, so did they know about that, and were they like sneaky about it? And we're gonna, we're gonna turn this guy into like the devil. Where did that initially come across? All right, so um, when the Greeks took over the 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 Middle East through Alexander the Great, right when when he started to conquer that whole area, uh, the Jews and um, the Greeks started to commingle culturally. And then we got what is known as the Hellenistic period. And out of that period, you know, a new uh, ethnic race of people being born, which were a mixture of Jewish people and, and Greek people and new dialects were being formed. And then that's when the Greeks took it upon themselves thinking, you know, there's something here with this whole Judaism. We should translate their, their sacred book into Greek. And then after the Hellenistic period, you know, well, during that period, I should say, um, the philosophers, uh, they, they started to look at Judaism and were like, wow, this is powerful stuff, you know, and then both of the minds, both of the greatest intellectual minds of the, of the Judith, of the Jewish people and the Greek people started to commingle and started to create this whole new idea of life and existence and God. And then, um, you know, allegedly Jesus comes, right. And then Jesus comes and then does what he does. And just stirs the pot, and then all these other new mythologies are born, and Rome comes, and all that happens. And then after Jesus dies, we get, uh, and then after all the apostles die, we get uh, the early church fathers. Now, the interesting thing is, we obviously, as of right now, we don't have any, you know, substantial evidence for Jesus that could stand in a court of law, for sure. And that can go along. That can be said with uh, all the apostles as well, except for, I think, Paul. I think Paul is really the only one that we have some substantial evidence for. But the interesting is we have a lot of evidence for the disciples of the apostles. That's pretty interesting stuff. So like this guy named Polycarp. So Polycarp, he was one of the disciples of uh, Paul. And um Along with Polycarp, there were some other guys like Irenaeus, and then there was Oregon. Oregon of Adamantius, um, I don't remember his time period, but it was one of the first early centuries. But Oregon of Adamantius, he was kind of condemned by the early church that was forming because he was a little more psychedelic and open-minded. And I think it was with him that he was the first one to point out that there is a, 
this Lucifer. He's the, he was one of the first ones to look at Isaiah, the Isaiah verse, and say, wait, what the heck? What is Isaiah saying? Is he, he's telling us right here that there is another power. There's another force in the universe named Lucifer. So he started kind of like taking that and spinning it. And then huh. so within the church. So then the church after him started to like <clears throat> take the same line of thinking and, and started to kind of couple Satan and Lucifer together. Is this where the uh, now is this where uh, the occult actually started coming into play here or is it before, way before that? No, it's it kind of around the same time. Um, so the yeah. occult starts to form with Gnosticism. Now, um, Gnosticism, for those who may or may not know, is, is a broad term for various groups within early Christianity. We have the Sethians, uh, the Valentinians, the Essenes, who are the ones who uh, authored the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, we have the, the Manichaeans, um, the Cathars, but the, the what um, they all share are a few basic beliefs uh, the first belief would be that um there is a, a dual nature in the universe there's there's like a evil force and a good force kind of like fighting against each other yep. they really they really played on that heavily and another thing that makes them distinct from from uh, orthodox christianity which was like huge which was a huge heresy in which got most of them killed was that they believe that the physical world is evil and that we are trapped in basically this false hologram and that it was the God of the Old Testament um, known as Yahweh in the Bible <clears throat> that is actually this false um, deceiving deity that has placed us here and he's parading around as, a, as the creator and that the priests of the orthodoxy are actually agents of Satan because they rule in the physical realm in the name of that God. Holy shit. What are your thoughts on that? What do you believe? Do you, that's another question I, I like to ask people is, do you believe the God of the Bible, Yahweh or Yahuwah or, uh, and his son, Yahushua? Do you believe that Yahuwah or Yahweh is the devil? Man, that's a tricky <laughs> question. Uh -huh. Uh, to put it simple, I don't, and I'm going to get into why when we start to unpack the Garden of Eden story. I don't believe that stuff. It's fun, fascinating stuff, and Gnosticism still plays a huge role in our pop culture. Um, the Matrix movie it has a lot of, of Gnostic, Gnosticism in it, like Gnostic ideals and symbology in it. Um, it's yeah, it's fun stuff. It's entertaining stuff, and I think there's something to be said for for what they believe. As far I, as I think it's a I think it's a valid question though. Like if you want to question, like if you're in the church, right, and you're just being yeah. like, like, go ahead and listen to the priest uh, do his sermon and everything, and you're not questioning anything. That's one of the main questions I think. And if you question that, then you're like ostracized, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember being a kid and I always questioned the Bible and, and, and religion. I hated going to church, still do. I mean, there's some times where it's cool, the music's cool, the people are cool, but I used to question the Bible. I remember like my cousins telling me like, oh, dude, you can't do that. Like, we'll go to hell. And I would just be like, what? Like, we can't even ask questions? Like, that was like a red flag for me early on. Yeah, but, that um, means you weren't totally manipulated by the system. The establishment. Yeah, no. Some, something like kind of like saved me from that. I'm not sure what, but 
Uh, yeah, Lucifer. no, I don't think that, I don't think that, right. It was Lucifer all along. You wanted me to write this book. No, but the, I, I don't think that Yahweh is the devil. And, and because I don't believe that the devil is real. That's, that's okay. kind of why to be more in, you know, deeper about it. So, but there's something there and, and the Gnostics were right. There's a chapter in my book where I go into Gnosticism. And the occult, the whole book is me pretty much scrutinizing the, the church and the occult for fueling this idea of Lucifer and the Satan. When for me, as a scholar looking at it historically, Satan and Lucifer simply just do not exist. Those are terms that we misunderstood. And through those terms, we created archetypes, which do hold the real power in the subconscious and psychological world. As archetypes do. Oh, no, I don't think Yahweh is the devil because I don't believe in the devil. I don't believe the devil's real. But um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Uh, any other do questions? You, well, yeah. Do you believe that Yahweh is the creator, one all one source of consciousness? Uh, no, I do not think he is. I think Yahweh is just an amalgamation for ancient deities. I think that when the whoever it was that wrote the the Hebrew Bible. And there's a lot to go, a speculation there. That's going to be a whole other episode. But whoever wrote it, what they, they're very clever. There's a lot of, um, you know, entendre within the Old Testament. They were clever. And what they did is they simplified the old world and, and put it all, they simplified it. So instead of us having this pantheon of gods, which for thousands of years we used to have, now all we have it's is this one encompassing. Yeah, and then the, the Old Testament, when you read it, that's that's what it is. That's what God's. That's what it is. It's Yahweh um, bestowing power to His people and literally telling them, "Go out and destroy the people who are still worshiping these old gods and go kill, go kill them." Um, so that's like. Do you not, that's, do you not find that a little suspect? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. To me, that me. It's like okay, so you like whoever wrote. The Bible, to me, it feels like uh, they had every intention to uh, create this magic spell named Yahweh mm -hmm. so that they could justify the killing of the people that they're against. Yeah, I don't know if you know Matthew uh, LaCroix. I, I've heard of him. Yeah, I listened to him on uh, Tripoli. Yeah, yeah, Matthew. Yeah, he's, he's dope. He's like... Uh... It's kind of an OG in the game. Um, early got like early on with uh, Billy Carson and and he's uh, he's on uh, Triple E's Mount Crushmore now. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, I saw that episode, the five hundredth episode. That's awesome. Yeah, I love this guy. Um, yeah, so Matthew Lacroix has this dope video I watched recently where he goes he unpacks the story of Moses and the Nephilim kings, and if you read the story of Moses, Moses is is being donned by Yahweh to go out and kill the remaining Nephilim kings. And the Nephilim um, were, were this, uh, this offspring of ancient uh, gods made, mating with humankind. And, and they're still, a lot of them got wiped out after the, you know, the legendary flood, but as the Bible states, they were still around after the flood, ruling uh, mankind and kind of bossing us around and bullying us. So God dons Moses to go out and kill the remaining Nephilim kings and cut their heads off. It's funny that you're talking about this now because I was just listening to a podcast. Um, shout out to General Lee here. 
yeah. he does subconscious realms. He's an up and comer podcaster. Uh, but he got this great guest on. He was talking about <clears throat> pre flood, they were called Nephilim or Nephilim, uh, plural. And then post flood, they were the Rephaim. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to unpack there too. And um, yeah, so, so going into, <laughs> yeah. So going into that, right? So now we're leaving the whole Lucifer thing. And we know that Lucifer is not real because that word is just a term that was misunderstood. However, when we look at the serpent in the Garden of Eden, who was also um, known as Lucifer, he's just, you know, Lucifer is a broad term for whoever Isaiah was talking about in the Garden of Eden story and all that. But when we go into the Garden of Eden story and the snake, we start look at that, right? So now Judaism, Judaism would not exist and most old world religions would not exist at all if it wasn't for the Sumerians and their mythology. Yes. How do, the, how do these tie in? Because I often think about uh, how the uh, Judeo-Christian or the Abrahamic religions were started because uh, they had to come from before from previous civilizations and uh, other belief systems, right? Yes. So uh, as of right now, the most ancient civilization that we can study, um, modern ancient civilization that we can study, is the Sumerians. That's right? pre-Egypt, right? Yeah, that's pre-Egypt. That's pre-everything. Yeah. Obviously, there's there ancient sites around the world that predate, that predate the Sumerians, but there's no writings that we can study. So the Sumerians, it can be said, are like the, the first well, modern civilization. Sorry to cut you off, but what about the epic, the epic of Gilgamesh? Is that not Sumerian? Yeah, no, it is. Sumerian, yeah. that, that's Sumerian. <clears throat> yeah. So the Epic of Gilgamesh, that's one of the first literary stories that we have, actually. But uh, so when we look at the Sumerians, so the Sumerians talked about their pantheon of gods. Everything, okay, so the Sumerians, it, it can be said, are, you know, the progenitors of all civilization. We got the wheel from them. We got the calendar from them. We got the school system from them, the government system from them, the idea um, you know, pyramids, early pyramids, early structures. I mean, pretty much everything about every basic foundation about society and civilization we got from them. And there's a whole study of Assyriology that, that you know, bring, sheds light to that and brings evidence to that. Um, but when we look at what they say, what they actually wrote down, they say pretty much everything that they do, they do it in regards to the gods. You know, everything they do is because of the gods. They were highly religious people. And when we look at their mythology, they spoke about a pantheon of 12 gods, 12 main gods. And at the head of this pantheon was Anu. Anu, although he was the father of the gods, he was not the creator. He was actually just, um, he, he has his own story. I mean, he used to be a young god and he had to assert the throne by fighting this other god. So he's not like the all the end all be all God, you know, creator. He, he's just another um, God, but he ended up being the, the head eventually um, on earth. Um, so there's Anu and then he has a son, his first son, which is um, by the name of Enki. Right. And then, but oh, Enki was Enki and Enlil, right? Yeah. Enki and Enlil. So Enki was the firstborn, although he was not born of a half sister, he was born of a concubine, so he didn't have the right to succession. But Enlil was a second born, but he was born of a half sister, so he had the right to succession. 
So all through Sumerian writing, um, through Akkadian writing and Babylonian writing, we see sort of a rivalry between Enki and Enlil for the right. succession of, to the throne. And Enki accepts pretty much that he's not going to you know, succeed to the throne, but one of his, his uh, seedlings might, one of his sons might. So, and then the, the war for succession goes on beyond them. It goes into their, their sons and then their grandsons, and it just carries on even to the, today, some can argue. So the Sumerians, the progenitors of all civilization and society, um, highly worship these deities. To them, these were real beings, and their writings <laughs> tell us that they um, more or less landed here about 400,000 years ago, and we get that number from the Sumerian king list, which is an actual uh, physical um, text that gives us this legendary list of rulers, and the first ruler goes all the way back to 400,000 years ago. Holy so shit. they landed here about 400,000 years ago, and there's a text called Enki and, and the World Order. It's a real physical text, and he talks about when they landed here. And when I say they, um, of course, I'm talking about the famous Anunnaki. Right. And this, right. Is, uh, this is some Zechariah Sitchin stuff here. Absolutely. So Zechariah Sitchin was probably, he's probably one of the first people that got, well, he's one of my favorite authors. He's one of my favorite authors. He's, you know, responsible, highly responsible for my whole esoteric um, career and studies, right? So when I first got into this stuff around 2006, um, shortly after that, I, got, I, I uh, got into some of his books, early high school. And I'm coming from a religious family, right? Now my mind is breaking. I'm going through all these crazy studies, learning about the gods, who are the gods. And then I stumble upon Zechariah Sitchin. Um, right you're, around, you're, you're defragging your hard drive at this point. Yeah. Which is quite yeah. an early age to do so. I mean, it took me a long, it took me, I think, until I hit, when I hit 30, that's when I started really going like, holy shit, what the fuck is going on? And I started yeah. researching all this shit, right? Listening yeah. to Glenn the coast and uh whatever just looking at books about um uh eastern spirituality and all this stuff man but it all connects you know it does it does because we live on a small world so you know everything that's happened here is, is going to connect eventually but uh, yeah so I, I came across um for those who don't know um if you ever hear the term anunnaki or ancient aliens i believe all of that wouldn't have happened or all of it goes back to Zechariah Sitchin. Now I know Eric Von Daniken had a huge part to play with that, but it's my firm belief that we wouldn't have the Anunnaki or ancient aliens without Zechariah Sitchin. Now he wrote the, the earth Chronicles, a series of like nine books in the 1970s proposing the idea of the Anunnaki and the ancient alien theory. So he was a huge, he was a very significant prominent figure in this whole truth community. Um, so I definitely give credit to him for that. But yeah, so the Anunnaki was a term that he 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 didn't coin the term, but he definitely he used that term primarily to talk about the ancient Sumerian gods. They're also known as other things like the Anuna or the Dingur. But uh, yeah, so the the Sumerian gods we can call them the Anunnaki, and um, allegedly, as as Zechariah Sitchin proposes and as some of the texts kind of allude to, they came from a different planet. Came from a different planet you know, landed here. And in the Enkian world order text, he talks about that. He talks about when he first came to earth, that it was just this marshy, you know, like Amazonian type place of just, just dis dark deciduous forest everywhere. And just everything was inundated in marshlands. 
but he being the crafty engineer god that he uh, is remembered as he started to artificially create canals and started to make the environment suitable for for domestication and life and civilization so from 400,000 years ago um, to the Sumerian civilization, which was about 9,000 BC or so, or 6,000 BC, um, you know, we start to emerge and we have memory of the gods passed down to us, allegedly. And we start to venerate these gods and everything we do is, is because of them and their efforts. And um, so Enki no. and have good. Sorry, do you think that this is like an allegory for like the people wanting to control this planet? Do you think it's an allegory for them to like justify uh, using us as slaves, quote unquote? That could be a good speculation. When I first learned, when I first read all this stuff um, in high school, I mean, I was 100% convinced the Anunnaki were spacemen and, you know, that they're still out there and Planet X is coming back. But if you ask me now, I mean, I got to be professional and I got to go where the facts are. I mean, there are no real facts that, you know, that is true. I mean, there's a lot of great speculation for sure. Um, but um, man, I don't know. That's a million dollar question. Were the Anunnaki real? Was it mythology? But yeah, because at, to, uh, to me, sorry, but to me, it just seems like that could be just like the, you know, the parasites or the elites, most people call them, I like to call them parasites, but yeah. it seems like they would use that mythology to more so enslave us throughout history, uh, through each period of, uh, or each civilization. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get you. Like, definitely, I get psychedelic, you know, personally and, and think <laughs> some pretty deep thoughts. I try not to do that in my, in my work. You know, I try to just be like historical and academic, but speculating man i've even thought like because there's there's a there's a conspiracy theory out there that's, that i like saying that history really only starts in the medieval period i don't know if you've heard that one but but some people believe that like all of history is a lie and that like we reset and that like all of history prior to like medieval times is all fake and it was just programmed into our minds or something yeah like this is a big thing now with the whole tartaria thing right like yeah that, that as well reset us already and they're resetting us again you know like how many times do they have to reset us and why do they have to reset us and and yeah. like then it goes back to satan again it's like if they're gonna reset us that means they have to kill a lot of people and if you're gonna kill a lot of people you have to be in a fucking psychopathic mindset to do that you know yeah there's definitely something weird going on with that and um that's kind of part of the reason why I wanted to write this book too. It's because I want to help deconstruct the hold that religion has over our minds because it's not just, you know, God, it's also the devil, you know, these ideas of the devil hold us down. These ideas of Lucifer hold us down. Um, and the, con the whole construct of uh, heaven and hell itself is like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I don't know what to believe, you know, like, I would like to believe that when I when I die out of this fleshly body, I'm gonna go to a better place uh, that's not uh, held down in a matrix. I can fly, I can you know shoot lasers out of my eyes or <laughs> breathe breathe light and eradicate the darkness. You know, I've had yeah. very very good dreams of this shit. You know, and yeah. what's that's a question for for you? Like, do you believe in an afterlife? Do you believe in 
we are all energy based. We go back to the source creator after we die. What, what do you think? Great question, man. And I feel like I'm finally getting a grip on that question because, well, um, recently I've been getting into Jung, into Carl Jung. Yep. I just finished his book on flying saucers and his conclusion on flying saucers. And it, it really shook me like him and Jacques Vallée, um, who's also a, uh, a world renowned UFOologist. They, they both are of the mind, the rare mind um, when it comes to UFOs, they believe that it's a, a psychological phenomenon for the most part. Not that doesn't mean they're not real or what we're experiencing is not real. But they really start to look at it in an introspective way, thinking that, you know, something else is going on here. And it's a conscious phenomenon that's happening. And Jung, or Jung he was the one who kind of proposed the whole collective unconscious theory that there's, which kind of coincides with the Akashic records, yep. you know, which uh, Edgar Casey kind of made famous. Everything that, every thought that every human being has ever had is in the, these records, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that they can that we can tap into that, and they can also project out into this this world. So Young and Jacques Vallée, they kind of say that UFOs are kind of the collective unconscious projecting these things out into our reality for various reasons, and that's a whole nother thing. But the reason I bring bring that up is because I just finished reading the declassified CIA document, um, Project Gateway. Have you heard of that? uh i've heard of it but uh brush me up cool um yeah well i just released a documentary on it actually on my youtube channel SOTV. um i mean this document dude it, it, it shook me to my core i'm going to i'm going through a mini awakening right now actually the past couple of weeks have been really weird in my mind after reading that you're just, you're just that's all yeah no I, after <laughs> I read that, what was that experience and that you're 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 uh you're we're all play i I like to think that we're all playing a role-playing game yeah and we're all leveling up as we uh ask questions and unlock more knowledge you know yeah one of my favorite quotes is the quality of your life depends on the quality of your questions right yeah but so i read the document completely shattered everything i ever thought about life just dropped a documentary on it where I kind of go over my highlights of the, of the document and kind of give you the best information out of it and kind of speculate. But uh, so apparently, according to the CI document, our, our, our universe is a hologram. It's a simulation and that there is a realm that's called the absolute where infinity exists and that we will all return to this infinity. And it will, and it will basically be like a, a dream. Like we'll, like we're going to wake back up into this infinity and basically laugh and be like, wow, like I can't believe I, I was so caught up in that. And we're, because we actually we're just being projected here from our, what our true consciousness is, which exists in that infinity or absolute, according to the CIA document. So, um, yeah, I, and I know David Icke, he, you know, he's a, the famous guy who goes into the reptilians and stuff. Uh, I heard that I hear a lot lately that he's controlled opposition, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, everybody kind of ends up, you know, being thought of of that way, like, eventually. But, like um, Alex Jones, David Icke, uh, Santos Bonacci, all those guys who, like, blow people's minds on a fucking daily basis. Oh, he must be controlled opposition, right? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe not. But he did a lot of great work. And if you sift through it, like, I mean, something we're starting to realize. I mean, we're starting to realize. Even mainstream physicists are starting to realize that what we live in is somewhat simulated. And David Icke, he, he talks a lot about that. And of course, he talks about the reptilians or the entity, the evil entities, and how they kind of move in and out of the spectrum of our visible perception. So I think there's a lot of truth to what we're living in is, is simulated and that there is more beyond our visible perception and that there is an afterlife and it's not going to be heaven or hell. Um, I, I'm more of the, of the platonic mindset that the afterlife or the absolute infinity where we really is, reside is it's just good. It's just pure. It's just neutral. And, but it's up to the individual to actualize their self. And if you don't actualize yourself as all the gurus have painstakingly tried us tried to uh, you know get us to do then your energy is just going to fizzle out your consciousness is going to fizzle out so if there is some kind of conspiracy of some evil entities here some parasites here uh, if anything i believe that's what their true goal is is to get us to never self-actualize so that we just fizzle out and just feed the, the disgusting hologram that they want to be reality dude that's that's fucking amazing what you just said like I always thought that like, <clears throat> if you don't self-actualize, if you don't become self-aware and you don't do the work that's necessary to like, after, after you figure out that you're self-aware, then yeah. you're just going to, like you said, you're just going to fizzle out. And maybe that's what hell is. Hell is just like your energy is just fizzling away into the ether and just pff, you're done. Yeah. yeah there's, nothing, there's nothing. Right. Yeah. Whereas you and I, what you're doing, your work, what you're doing is you putting in the work because that comes back to the Bible again, where, or what Christianity says, like that whole debate about like uh, faith without good works is dead. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right? There's so, a lot of good stuff to get out of that. Yeah. Man. Like, like I'm doing what I'm doing now and I'm totally enjoying it. And I'm, I'm just loving getting great guests such as yourself on and just having these discussions because I think this is this is really truly what matters in life, uh, yeah. not like buying the newest car or buying a mansion or you know fucking this girl and fucking that girl and having like thirty girls under your belt yeah. or whatever you know like these are the most meaningful things we can do with our lives and yeah. get it out there and make other people aware of what truly matters in life. Yeah, man, I think so, too, because I think every generation gets um, the false idea that it's going to be the end of the world. And as we've known now, it's never been the end of the world. So no matter how bad it gets, um, things there's are always. Yeah, there's always beer and, and marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. But I mean, we make that, that false, you know. Um, presumption that oh this is the worst it's going to get the world's over but no I mean they, they kind of want us to think that because I used to think naively that the media data was going to happen you know to an extent it is happening but I don't think it's going to completely take over until a far far time from now when when the generation on this earth is so far removed from themselves spiritually that they're going to accept it willingly accept it so um do you not feel like that we're getting close to that, though? Oh, yeah, we're definitely getting close. But as long as people like us exist, I mean, it's not going to flat out happen without a huge resistance. 
Right. But um, I, I always looked at um, like if you look at history and you take yeah. a New Testament, the Re- Book of Revelations, for example, and the Apocalypse. Like the Apocalypse to me is like it's already happened through every generation. Everybody has all already got the truth revealed to them in, in one way or sh- one way, shape or form. Right. And yeah. even now it's like, I feel like I'm living through the apocalypse because I'm doing my research and I'm looking at all these things and I'm like, Oh shit, it's already happened. Like a long time ago, we're just living, re- we're reliving history every day, you know? Yeah. It's sort of like a blueprint for how things can go. And if we don't like pay attention to it, but uh, I brought, I bring that up to say that like um, back to what you're saying, how we're doing the work and it's important to do the work because if we just sat up, sat around and said, Oh, like this is the end. There's no point. I mean, we're naive because I mean, chances are there are, there is going to be, you know, another generation, there's going to be another thousand years here. So if we don't do the work then we're just like doing a disservice to the next generation you know, all the great occultists who have already, who are already gone, all the great, um, intellectual thinkers who are way gone, you know, it's a good thing they did the work and didn't buy into the idea that the world was ending during their time, because now we have all their information and all their work to reflect on and make sure that we're still aware, oh, there is a beast system that is trying to take over. So if we don't keep that alive and keep warning the next generation, do not let this beast system take over, then we'll always have a fighting chance. I couldn't agree with you more, man. Like, if I was... <laughs> I was once in that mindset of like, oh, fuck, uh, we're, we're, we're fucked, you know? So what's the point of doing anything? And that's exactly where they want you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, it's that fear-based mind control where you're not able to uh, do anything like except for just uh, sit, watch TV, play video games, and rot away. I mean, I'm guilty of that too. But yeah. at least I got this going on now, right? Like yeah, I I always say, I've taken well, all the shit that I've learned uh, about spirituality and all that shit, and I'm applying it to this, and hopefully it gets out there like the like a boulder in the ocean, you know. Yeah, it will. They will. And I always say, like, as long as you're aware of the truth, and if you want to indulge in this this life in this world, I mean, it's fine. As long as you really know what you're doing, and you know you can pull out whenever you want, or you know. Yeah, you gotta you gotta try to find your the uh, the balance, the right balance in life, right? Like, yeah. it's hard nowadays because people are so caught up in like being uh, locked down or you know having to get a fucking vaccine to go and eat somewhere or or whatever. You know, it's like I just completely refuse that whole thing. I just. Yeah. I took, I t- I've taken this show and I'm like, this is my thing. This is what makes me happy. Right. And it's yeah. very important. Um, not just for myself, but other people, you know, and I feel like I'm doing a service to the creator. Uh, if you want to call him Yahweh or Yahua or uh, whatever, just the source, yeah. You know, getting, getting my information that I've learned out there and I, and you're doing the same thing. And I really appreciate that. And uh, when you, when you uh, reached out to me, I was like, uh, and asked me if you, you would want to come, if you, if I would have you on, I'm like, Oh yeah, let's go. Yeah. You know, yeah. like the shit that interests me so much, like 
because I went through a, a period of my life where I was like, really like, I felt like I lost myself and I had to cling to something. And I, cl- I cling to the Bible and I researched it, researched it, researched it. And I, I, I retained a lot of the, the scriptures in my head and um, a lot of the stories and everything. And uh, so I think the, bi- the biblical things are like my favorite kind of thing to d- dive into and like the origins of it. And like, if it's good or if it's bad or, you know, it's just, it's like a main uh, hub of my thoughts. So yeah, man, fuck, it's awesome. No, yeah, same here. I mean, it was mostly because of my religious upbringing. So when I had like real fire, real evidence to kind of combat these like, the, you know, the institutions and also to fuel the the feelings and intuitions I had, it's like, like gravitated around Zechariah Sitchin and I loved his work because he was telling me everything I wanted to hear. I was like, I knew it. I knew there was more to the Bible. I knew there was aliens. I knew there was, you know, all this weird stuff. But uh, yeah, though, going back to the book and the Garden of Eden, um, so when we find, so when we look at the Anunnaki, right? So we have this this pantheon of Anunnaki, and so the Anunnaki in the Sumerian mythology is where all the rest of religion pretty much, um, you know, came from, right? And um, in ancient Sumerian times, their gods were also known as Ushumgal, Ushumgals, if I'm saying that correctly, um, which meant, you know, pretty much wise serpent. So in ancient times, the serpent was was viewed as a wise uh, symbol. It was a symbol for for a wise deity or somebody that you know had powers. And Enki, he was always his symbol was always the snake, and also water. And whereas Enlil, his his symbol was was always like uh, was the eagle, it was an eagle or a phoenix. <clears throat> right. And this is uh, where Matt Lacroix comes in, where he's saying, like, the U.S. had twisted the serpent and the eagle, right? They use the eagle as the good symbol, whereas it should be the serpent. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot to say with that, too. And, like, how in uh, Mexico, the ancient, you know, like, Aztecs and Mayans, they worship, like, the serpent. Because um, it is said that so some of the Anunnaki reached the Americas and helped start those civilizations. Um, it could be said when we speculated all that, you know, Enlil and his line all became like the militant Yahweh, you know, Christian um, gods and peoples. And the Enki lines kind of became the more mystical Egyptian indigenous um, people. So the Garden of Eden story, when unpacked with its Sumerian understanding, it's really talking about Enlil and Enki. And Enlil, is, it's obvious in the ancient text that Enlil did not like the idea of humankind being more than workers. Um, and it was also obvious that Enki admired us after creating us. Because um, as the texts say, you know, for those, of those, for those who don't know, the Sumerian tale goes simply that the Anunnaki were here doing whatever they were doing here, which is a whole speculation. <laughs> and they got tired of doing the grunt work or the lower, the lower ranking gods got tired of doing the grunt work. So they petitioned for Enki, being a very intellectual, um, smart scientist, um, to engineer a worker, kind of what we're trying to do with AI now. So he, he took caveman, which you know he, he knew was here, and uh, engineered through experiments, engineered them and upgraded them to become homo sapiens. And there's a lot to be said with that, because as of right now, all of our scientists, we don't know, and anthropologists, 
we can't pinpoint how we went from Neanderthal to Homo sapiens. That's what's called the missing link. Missing link, right? Yeah, so there's a lot what, to say with that. What do you think the missing link is? Man, in my honest opinion, um, I think it because was that. we'd have to go to uh, if if the whole caveman theory was a lie or not, right? And then they, yeah. they created a that they fabricated that, and then they fabricated the missing link because it could explain uh, where it came from, right? Yeah, I've, I, I've kind of dived into that a little bit from what I've heard on various podcasts and stuff and read. Turns out, I guess, um, Homo erectus or, or the Neanderthals actually commingled with Homo sapiens for quite a long time. So we, so we knew of each other. But the question is, where did Homo sapien come from? It's obvious that Homo erectus were like the indigenous hominids of this earth. And then um, at some point, I don't know the dates, Homo sapien just showed up. And they co-mingled with each other and actually had some of them intermarried or, or you know, had, had offspring together. And then slowly Neanderthal just died out, but not completely because there are still genetic remnants of them here. Some people have more Neanderthal than they do Homo sapien, actually, which is weird. But I also this... heard this. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I also heard somewhere I haven't found the evidence for this, but I've also heard that um, we found like grave sites of hundreds of like Neanderthal skulls like bashed in and that there's some kind of evidence for Neanderthal being deliberately wiped out. Huh. Wow. Why do you think that is? Well, I think uh, if the story, if we take the story of our Sumerian ancestors, you know, for true um, that these Anunnaki, these highly intellectual, uh, intellectual beings, which all of our ancestors venerated, one way or another, who taught us civilization, taught us how to build pyramids and who had these elongated heads and who were taller and bigger in stature. I mean, there's a lot of evidence for that. If we take that for true for, for any percentage, then they came here, um, as the texts say, and they took cavemen or Neanderthal and upgraded their DNA with their DNA and then created a, an artificial hominid with that was partly earthling and partly Anunnaki. And um, I guess they just eventually didn't have any, uh, they didn't have any need for Neanderthal, you know, or there might have been a war between <laughs> Neanderthals, Homo sapiens. And it's funny that you say that, the, you go in that direction, because when I was a kid, I'm 42 now, right? Yeah. You're, you're young, you're 27, right? Yes. Yeah, so when I was a kid, it's almost like, the, the furthest civilization that they taught us about was the Egyptians. They never went down to the Sumerians, man. Never. I don't know how high school is now, but I, I remember doing this project on ancient Egypt when I was in like grade three or four or something like that. Yeah. And um, it's just, it's, I just found, I just find it funny that they, they don't talk about the Sumerians. Like, why not? You know, it's like they want the, the they want the Egyptians to be like the be all end all. It's like, OK, well, what about the cavemen? You know, like how far back does that go? You know, is that before yeah. the Sumerians? You know, like they don't yeah. tell us everything in, in school, man. Yeah, no, that's I've actually never really realized realized that till now, too. I mean, I was in high school in um, the two, 2000s, like 2009 through 12. 
And uh, that that's enough time to have, you know, put them in the history books because we now I go into the book how, you know, the occultists, they kind of like fanatically created this idea of Lucifer because of the Garden of Eden story. And I give them some, you know, um, some slack because they didn't really know about the Sumerians because we we rediscovered them in the 1800s, the mid 1800s. And we didn't really start to piece together what they were saying until like the early 1900s. And then we didn't really, really understand like the huge implications of what they were saying until the late 1900s when Zechariah Sitchin put his, you know, theory together. And then, so it took a while, but even then, I mean, we knew this of them by 1900. I mean, enough to put them in the history books. So almost a thousand years or a hundred years later, I mean, books so I, I don't know if they are now but they definitely should be yeah that's what i'm saying like why do you think like the school system when i was being brought up why they why would they never mention the sumerians it's always oh it was always the egyptians like to me when i was a kid it was like oh the egyptians because they were before christ so you know uh, why wouldn't they tell us about the sumerians and like what do you think that's all about like because i know that, that the school system is like uh, designed by like the Rockefellers and Rothschilds or whatever, right? But yeah. um, maybe maybe that's one of the reasons. But I just don't understand like why they wouldn't do that. And maybe now because kids are hopefully questioning that shit, you know, like yeah. like I don't know what it's like now, but I, I hope yeah. that uh, if anybody's listening, uh, a younger audience, like start questioning your teachers about the Sumerians or, and what happened before them. You know, were there cavemen before the Sumerians? Like, I don't know, man. Like, there's so much that's missing. Does yeah, it make I think sense? It's kind of the concept of uh, half truths. Like, what I realize um, about like church is it's all half truths. Like, church is designed to for you not to read the Bible correctly. You know, church institutions. Yeah. They, I mean, you go to church to learn about God and the Bible. That's what it's supposed to be but they're specifically designed as a program for that as a runaround program so that you never learn the bible correctly and the way they do it is they'll sit you there for hours just going over a few passages they'll be like okay turn your bible to this verse in this chapter okay and they'll read it and then they'll spend like two hours just talking about that little passage and then but they'll be like speculating and philosophizing on it and then throughout the whole process, you know, they're just having music playing and playing on your heartstrings and saying little emotional things. And what happens at the end? At the end, it's always cue the music, you know, pass the basket around. Always yep. the same thing. Yeah, always, always the same, the same thing. thing, man. Like I even yeah. went to, like uh, when I was in Arizona, I went to this one church and uh, this is when I was, uh, you know, kind of deep into uh, religiosity. But uh, <clears throat> um it was like they, they they have like this massive fucking church and there's like a shit ton of people and you got a bookstore in there you got a cafeteria in there like a coffee shop and then you got like a like souvenirs and like whatever you could buy dvds this and that it's like this is church and then you got like a rock band playing these like okay. these shitty christian rock songs and it's like and then you got all the people just like eating it up man and it's like what the fuck is going on? Yeah, dude, it's like this. It's a weird thing, and I think school system is the same thing. It's it's all half truths, right? School poses itself as education, 
come here and learn, but they're just only feeding you half truths. You know, it, it's like it's truth hidden in plain sight. Um, so, I mean, because the Bible, I think what's going on is the truth is out there, right? The truth is out there and it's more powerful than the evil and they can't, they can't get rid of it. So they figured, well, instead of, you know, trying to get rid of it, well, all, all we're going to have to do is, is just control the narrative. That's what we're seeing is they're controlling the narrative by feeding us half truths. Right. And that's, that's a very, uh, big word that's being thrown around lately is uh, narrative, you know, because, um, you know, the media controls the narrative, right? Yep. Because they're bought and paid for by the parasites. So, um, I mean, if, if you're bought and paid for by the parasites, then you also have the churches, which yeah. are also bought and paid for by the parasites. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's why, again, going back to the Bible, <clears throat> I always go back to the Bible where where Revelations, uh, I think it's Revelations, or it could be, it could be, I know it's in the New Testament where uh, I think it's, it could be Jesus or Paul that says, come out of her, my people, be not partaker, partakers in their iniquities, mm -hmm. this and that, right? Like, get out of the yeah. church, get out of the establishment. Yeah. No, those dudes were definitely sneaking that in there. You know, Revelations, I think it was Eliphaz uh, Levy, you know, the uh, French occultist who, who drew up the Baphomet image and all that. I got a documentary on him out on my YouTube, too. Um, actually, I was going to say that earlier, too, to your question. When when did Lucifer start becoming occultized? I mean, as I said, it was Oregon Adamantius who started to, pu to push the idea of Lucifer as a concept in the church. But it wasn't until Eliphaz uh, Levi in the 1800s where Lucifer started to take hold in the occult. He was one of the first occultists to kind of like start looking at Lucifer and start really like, you know, big building him up as this huge concept and archetype. Mm -hmm. But um, Eliphas Levi, he states that uh, the book of Revelations is the most important occult book ever written. And that's a huge statement, you know, coming from a guy like that. That is a so huge statement. Yeah, I mean, Paul, I mean, apparently, or not Paul, John, John um, wrote that when he was like 70 years old, and imprisoned on an island, you know, tripping out. And as I say, the first half of it is supposed to be speaking about his times, about the Roman emperor and the Roman government. And then the second half is supposed to be talking about a prophecy about the future. So it's kind of like he's building up what's going on in his world, and how that world, the Roman world, is starting to create a world that's going to eventually take over or attempt to take over. And take over what? Like everything, like total dominance of the world or what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, pretty much. I mean, that's kind of like, the, that's really where the, like the new world order. Well, that is where the new world order concept come from. It comes from is the book of revelations, you know, right. That, that's where it's originated from. Did it not go beyond that though? Like before that, way before that? Yeah, well, you could say the Gnostics kind of spoke about it with the uh, the whole idea of Yahweh being the false god of this hologram. But, I mean, they went further than the earth. I mean, they were talking about, you know, this, this demiurge, as they called it, you know, controlling the universe. So for them, it was way, it was way, it was spiritual. But well, as far as this world politically being, being overran by a system, that, uh, to my understanding, started with the Book of Revelations. Yeah, demi-urges sound to me like a little suspect too. Like, I think demi-urges could be uh, <clears throat> referred to as 
uh, you know, executives or parasites. Yeah, well, they talk about like the archons. The archons running they're they're like the Wizard of Oz, they run everything behind the curtain, right? Yeah, pretty much. Like archons are like yeah, <clears throat> these duties or these programs or these yeah, these agents of the demiurge. Yeah, they, they they run shit behind the uh the curtain. I mean like uh if you read the uh Bhagavad Gita, mm-hmm. it talks about the veil of Maya, which to me is it ties in with the apocalypse where uh, everything is revealed, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, the veil of Maya is basically it's a curtain that is like the Wizard of Oz. It's a curtain that gets lifted and you see everything for what it is, right? Yeah. Well, uh, in the, the CIA document, the archons run everything behind the curtain, which is another uh, tie-in with the whole deep state idea, whereas like the deep state are controlling the puppets of the the, the politicians, right? Yep. Yeah, ties in so so crazy, man. It's crazy. Yeah, it's like the deep state runs the politicians and the media, but then like the archons are the ones running the deep state, and then they get right. It's like the hierarchy, which is why they always have that that pyramid with the all-seeing eye, right? The eye of Horus. It's the hierarchy. The pyramid is the hierarchy. Who's running? Who's at the top? Right. If there's God, then you know. I don't know. It's it's a really hard concept to really wrap your brain around sometimes. Yeah. Well, the way I started to understand it when I read like Gnosticism, when I read their works and Plato as well. And because Plato actually, the, the early Greek philosophers had a, a huge influence on early Christianity and their ideas of the afterlife and existence. But um, to my understanding, man, like the Gnostics, the way they talk about it, it's almost like the real creator doesn't even reside in this universe like yeah, he's completely it. outside of the universe beyond yeah. time beyond uh life like you can't how can you even comprehend uh eternity you know what i mean and he's yeah. an eternity yeah so it's almost like we have to really try super hard to break through whatever this is to reach the creator because we're placed in this archonic hologram so the creator doesn't even reside here you know, we're we're just left in this weird, like, dark realm. See, see, that's where I find that um, where Satan comes in. Satan resides here because he's he's in everybody. God is as well, but I don't think that uh, Satan has any comprehension of eternity because you know it, the Bible says also that uh, Satan knows his time is short, right? If you notice, his time is short. He's trying to fucking pull all the souls in with him. And but yeah. God is, but God is just like up there beyond the universe. Being, he's like, don't worry, my people know who who they are. You know. Yeah, I believe so. And, and that CIA document I brought up earlier, the Project Gateway, it's strange. There's one. There's one sentence in there where um, Lieutenant McDonald, the guy who ends up making the report for the CIA just simply says that, you know, one must guard their energy and I'm paraphrasing, but he says one must guard their energy before going into the astral realm because you may encounter lower vibrational entities and then simply continues on. So I'm like, wait, hold up. Is this dude straight up admitting that that lower vibrational entities really exist out there? So these archons, this idea of archons and demons or whatever, like it is real. 
you know so um there's something to be said about this whole archon of lower vibrational entities and reptilians and them being able to move in and out of our, our visual perception and islam touches on that too with the genie who are um the gym the gym yeah the gym do you uh have you ever done dmt I haven't, man. Not yet. No, I haven't either, but uh, from what I've been told, it's like a very life-altering experience. I mean, yeah. um, like you see, like I've, I've heard stories of people, uh, I've looked at a lot of videos and interviews and shit like that on podcasts, yeah. what have you, but uh, uh, these people will encounter beings that they call the archons. And I'm like, maybe DMT is like, if you break through on DMT, maybe you're just seeing the just a little bit beyond the veneer, even though it, yeah. it, it seems like it's way beyond your perception. You're probably yeah. just seeing just a little bit behind the scenes. Yeah, I think so, too. In the document, which has kind of been like, I don't know, my little like Bible the past few days. Like I've just been really referencing that thing for everything lately because like it just really shattered me that that much. Sorry, what was that? The uh, the CIA what? document. Okay, yeah, yeah. I've just been kind of like just re- referencing back to that thing for everything lately because it's just been like fresh in my mind and just like shattered me in, in a huge way. But um, in that document, they talk about how in our reality, which they call the time space dimension and then the absolute where infinity resides, there are varying dimensions in between. And in those varying dimensions, um, all kinds of weird fantasy realities can exist. So I, in the documentary that I released, I touch on that and I say that I believe that the DMT realm is one of these varying dimensions we go to. When we're doing DMT, we're actually going to another reality another dimension that does exist and i think that thoughts and dreams and fetishes and nightmares and all that stuff does uh manifest in these weird intervening dimensions sure yeah Whew. it's like an in-betweener thing right yeah or yeah. not even not it might not like i said before it might not even be an in-between thing it might just be like just a little bit of the spiritual reality that we're in, you know, because it can't be just the mind playing tricks on us when we do DMT. Like there's so much more to it than that because you experience like what eternity feels like when you're on DMT. Yeah. You get a bite of eternity. Like what the fuck, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I've felt some of the things on like mushrooms and even on, on, on weed, actually on cannabis, like, like really, really like intense highs. But uh, yeah, man. What do you uh, think? It, what do you think? I could, I could go for hours, but what do you yeah. think dreams are? Do you think dreams are actual reality? Yeah, well, in the practical sense, you know, I think the dreams are, are just our subconscious working out things, you know, but I think and on the I think it's kind of like a percentage. I think for the most part, when we're dreaming, it is just our subconscious and our brain working things out. Um, but I think every now and then we actually astral project and venture off to dimensions. And have you ever had, have you ever had any astral projection experiences? I have, I've had two um, in my life. Um, both of them were not at will. They just happened. Yep. I've had about uh, three or four. Yeah, the first time it happened actually was both of them actually happened after I got into reading the Emerald Tablets of Toth. 
familiar with that? I'm familiar with it. I, I haven't read it, but uh, I have a, a, another friend. Uh, shout out to The Hate Club, who is uh, a singular uh, musician who has his band. He calls calls himself The Hate Club, right? But yeah, uh, yeah he he uh, delved into the Emerald Tablets and he wrote a song about it and shit. And uh, yeah, dude, uh, uh, that goes back to... Does this go back to Atlantis? It does. So yeah. the, uh, I'm sure a lot of people now know about like Billy Carson, Forbidden Knowledge. And yep. um, he just released or he re- recently released his compendium to the Emerald Tablets. That's like his you know crown work. But the Emerald Tablets, um, as we know them today, go back to this strange dude by the name of Dr. M. Dorial. He was a, a high occultist for this strange group that rarely gets talked about called the White Brotherhood, the Temple of the White Brotherhood or the, or the Brotherhood of the White Temple, uh, either or. Um, but uh, they're actually based out in America. Um, I think they're in like Colorado or something somewhere out there. But he's from the mid 1900s and he claims that he uh, went over to Tibet and was allowed to go to the legendary Shambhala. And that in there, he studied with the Tibetan um, uh, ascended masters and that they presented him the actual emerald tablets, which are real tablets uh, made out of emerald with a strange script. And that he, you know, meditated and after a series of days or weeks, um, Toth visited him or he it was channeled to him and he translated the emerald tablets and then came back to America to the Brotherhood of the White Temple and then um, translated those into English and then published them in like the 1940s or 50s. And so the Emerald Tablets, when everybody, anybody, even including Billy Carson, talks about them, they're talking about that, those that translation, which I have. And they're an awesome translation. I mean, I believe that there's power to it when you read it. When I first read them, I read them when I was about 13, 14 online. And after a few days of reading them, my mind was like going through a weird thing, weird paradigm shift. And uh, one night, Astral Projected, <clears throat> it was a really weird, simple one. And then after that, I kind of got freaked out, put them away. And then years later, when I was about 16, I, I had a physical copy. I was on house arrest uh, for some dumb stuff. So I one summer, I was at home all day. And I decided to pick them back up and read them again. And that night, I had another Astral Projection experience. But this time, it was intense. I, uh, I confronted a, a dark energy entity. And in the book, the Emerald Tablets, Toth, who um, is allegedly this, he says in the book that he was a priest king from Atlantis many, many years ago. And he tells you the history of how his people fell and how these weird, like, archonic energy entities took over the minds of his political leaders. And it got so bad that he didn't, he couldn't um, distinguish who was possessed or not. And eventually it just, everything went to shit or went to hell and Atlantis fell and then uh, mankind forgot their their spiritual history and he had to help them rebuild so there's that whole story but in the book after establishing his history he starts to tell you how you can ask projects how you can summon him how you can reach him and all this stuff but he tells you also a process on how to dispel these negative energy entities so in my astral projection when i when i confronted one of these things in my house when i was astral projecting i i i uh, instantly thought about the passage in the verse, like a laser beam shot from me to that book and back. 
and instantly did what he says to do, which is like pretty much create a vibrational field. And then from that vibrational field, well, actually what he says is when you first feel the instance of fear, when you feel fear, that fear is nothing but raw energy. And we perceive it as this, as this thing that we call fear, where it makes us unsure and, and, and belittles our own self, but fear is just raw energy. So what you need to do is transmute it, transmute it and then vibrate with that transmutation and turn that raw energy of fear into confidence. And then you shoot it outwards from your light body and you dispel these beings that way. And I did just that. And then woke Holy up shit. And- <laughs> That's crazy. You didn't listen. Have you listened to my show at all? Um, I've been kind of d- digging into a little bit, but. Uh, no, because I'm just asking because um, um, I was telling my buddy on my show about how like I had a conversation with uh, a friend of mine way back when I was like 13, 14 or whatever. I always had like older friends. Right. And a little older, he was in high school and he was like saying how his philosophy teacher was like talking about astral projection and like a a method to do it. And one of them was like picture a beam of light from your third eye or your, your forehead to the tip of your toes while you're lying down. And when I did that one night, when I was really, really tired, it happened for the first time. Whoa. Yeah. So what, what you were saying there was what, like with the whole, uh, the light and the vibration, that's what it is, man. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, you oh, really shit. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, that, that tripped me out. And the CIA document goes into astral projection and they pretty much say the same thing, like the, the process on how to get to astral projection. Um, their process is pretty much the same thing, yeah. Unbelievable. That's, that's fucking wild, man. I think we're going <clears> to <throat> we're gonna wrap it up with, with one last question. Sure. Uh, what is your... Uh, what are your thoughts about, like the main hope for humanity we have at this point in time in our, in our zeitgeist. Sure. Yeah. It's a wonderful question. Um, I think that, you know, I think that goodness will always overcome evil, but it has to act on that. You know, I I like the quote that says evil only exists when good men do nothing. Right. So I, I I have high hopes for humanity. Um, Quick story, uh, when I was like seven or eight, I was in uh, camp and there was this strange uh, staff member what, who sat me what, down. One time at band camp? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like one of those things. No, but uh, yeah, I was in, in camp and uh, it was strange because I'd been going to camp for years and I knew all the staff. But one summer we had this new guy and I don't remember his name, barely remember his face, but he was this new dude. And at the time, I was like seven or eight, and uh, I, I couldn't swim at the time. Yeah, I know. It was pretty embarrassing. Later on, my cousin just threw me in a pool, and I learned that way. But I, I still can't swim <laughs> at 42. <laughs> uh, damn. We got to just throw you in a pool, man. <laughs> All right. That, that's a, another story, but yeah, why I can't yeah. or I'm scared of it. But, yeah, go ahead. Uh, but, yeah, so we're at the pool, so I'm chilling with the staff member, and he, he just sits <clears> me down, and dude, he just starts going into the Book of Revelations. And he tells me, hey, Eddie, like, you know, have you heard of Jesus? Kind of like doing this Christian spill, you know, spiel. But then he goes into the book of Revelations and warns me and tells me there's going to be a come, come a time in your day, in your life, when they're going to try and push 
um, the mark of the beast. And first they're going to be nice about it on TV. And then they're going to start knocking on your door. And eventually they're going to start forcing you. And then eventually they're going to make you do it or, or you'll get killed. And he says to me, I'm like seven or eight. And he says, Eddie, it is better for you to die than to take that mark of the beast. Um, and I'm telling you this story because I think it's important, you know, for us to instill hope and instill it's definitely instill hope into the younger generation or just anybody really that that's feeling down because there's always a chance for us to be better people. There's always a chance for us to, to be a better community. But for those who, who are ready for real knowledge, those who are ready, you know, and prepared to take on paradigm shifts and learn the things that we've been going over this past hour and a half, we've got to like, we've got to give them the truth, whether or not it's going to, sh you know, shatter their mind and shatter their belief system so that they can become warriors and become warriors of the truth. And because um, I don't think that we should just go tell everybody <clears throat> the truth about life because some people can't handle it. But no, they definitely are, Yeah. Yeah. So for those of the, who are ready to handle it and, you know, we need to keep learning and we need to keep communicating with each other and updating each other on what, what the new truths are, what the new information is. And as long as we stay informed, as long as we stay strong and healthy, which is very important, um, we're going to be all right. Dude. I couldn't have said it any better. That was awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Um, I really thank you so much for your time, man. And time is a very valuable gift you can give to people, right? So this is your time. This is my time giving our gift to uh, the universe and the people listening. Um, any, any things you want to plug right now? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so you can find me on Instagram. Uh, <coughs> Eddie, probably the quickest way to to hit me up if you need to. You can also go on to YouTube, Esoteric Eddie TV. I'm uploading videos and documentaries on there. And um, if you want to, you can email me at contact at esotericeddie.com. Cool, bro. Thank you so much, man. I'm definitely going to be uh, looking over your book, man. Um yeah, man. Thank you so much for coming on. And, dude, you're a warrior for sure. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, this was fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Awesome. Peace out, bro. Later. Peace. Thank you very much once again, my beloved cartel, for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed that as much as I did and Eddie did because Eddie reached out to me after and he was like, dude, that was fucking awesome. I'm like, I highly agree. Um, but yeah, I just hope I could bring something to the table uh, that other hosts don't. I don't know what it is. Uh, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just bringing me to the table, you know? But uh, yeah, that was amazing, and uh, he had my interest, and I had a lot of questions for him. I never wrote any of them down, but yeah, it was fucking awesome, and I hope you enjoyed it. And um, I'm not going to waste any time plugging anything. I'm not going to plug my Patreon. I'm not going to plug him. Um, <clears throat> just look at the show notes, and then uh, decide for yourself what you want to do with it. Um, and uh, the, rest is, uh, the rest is in your hands. Your blood is no longer in my hands. Okay, Cartel, I love you, and you have a blessed day. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, peace out.